The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Today we're discussing the necessity of public-private partnerships in the fight against fraud and corruption in South Africa. The role that can be played by fraud examiners, fraud investigators, forensic auditors, and helping us to make sense of the situation is Yaku Diago, the CEO of the South African Association of Fraud Examiners. Yaku, welcome to the show. Hi, Chad. Thank you very much for, for hosting me. Yaku, very sad news coming in uh, over the weekend about the passing of Yuhan. And it seems like there's there's been a, a situation in South Africa over the years where Although we see more and more people becoming interested in the fight against fraud and corruption, we're not seeing enough people being utilized in this fight, especially in the South African Why do you think that there isn't a greater number of people being utilized, both in the sector, to fight what is clearly a very just risk? Well, there's some... Two things, I, actually three things I can say to that question. The first off, yes, um, from my side and, and the ACV side, also condolences to the family and friends and colleagues to Johan and others that we've lost. I mean, you spoke about two just uh, prior to the adverts. Um, I think over the last three, four months, um, we've sent out weekly um, notifications out to our members of people who passed away, uh, which is a huge loss not only for the family and friends but also for South Africa. Each and every person uh, that, that passes away as a member is also a fraud fighter. Um, so that's a, that's a massive loss for our country. When, when, we, when we look at Johan um, and, and you specifically referred to Zuma uh, and, and the Zuma case uh, that's being investigated, usually it's not done in isolation. It's done in teams. So um, you usually have one or a couple of people that's involved in, in a case like that putting it together and you've got your main person that signs off on the report and, and that leads the whole investigation. Um, so there's, there's a lot of people that's involved. It's not only one or two people that uh, that deals with an investigation like uh, whether it's a, a Zuma or Jackie Slebi or whoever. So it's, it's usually in teams. The third thing I wanted to say, and, and, and that's actually a, a passionate thing uh, that I also made a comment on in, in my LinkedIn profile, and I think you've seen that, is that we sit with a lot of companies um, that refuses um, to, to employ the necessary ex- expertise within the organization. Why? Well, we can only speculate on that. Um, there is the, uh, we, we've got enough um, people that, that's got the knowledge to do the work. Um, we've, well, there's never enough, uh, but we've got the, uh, we've, there's, there's skilled people out there, certified fraud examiners that can go out and, and, and really help you mitigate your internal and external risks. But as we've seen with the uh, HPCSA case, as we've seen with uh, the uh, SABC case, um, where we've got directors or senior personnel that uh, provided false information on their qualifications, for instance. <clears throat> the question directly asked by the public uh, and even by some of our members was, why didn't we pick it up as your, insur- uh, your assurance partners? 
Now, I'll, I'll describe now a little bit about assurance and why I'm referring to that as such. Um, but before I get there, and it was for me, firstly, I went to the organizations in question. Last one was the HPCSA case. And I verified whether we've got members even in that entity um, that could have picked up uh, that uh, there was false information that was provided by employees, as one would ex- uh, uh, expect uh, professionals do, uh, the, the proper vetting. And they didn't have one CFE, not even a member, normal member, not even a student member with the ACFE. So directly, the, the public would say, yeah, but... The, the profession is failing us um, in protecting organizations. And I want to turn around and say that we must actually now start asking questions to the management, senior management board members as to why do you allow people to sit in key positions that's supposed to protect your organization that don't have the necessary skills to fulfill the job. And if, if you have the skilled people there, You've got so many things that counts in your favor if they didn't do their job. You can report them to professional bodies who can then hold them accountable according to the professional standards. Um, and, and then you can act not only against the perpetrators who provided the false information, but also those within your organization that didn't do their job properly. If we look at King 4, um, it, it's, it's nicely described there. King 4 is actually a... a um, a simplified version of King 3 with some add-ons. King 3, a lot uh, of in- individuals indicated that it was too complex. They didn't understand how to, uh, to apply it properly, and that's why there was a King 4, <coughs> where we also added, sorry for the coughing now and then, I, um, no problem I had a COVID last week, so <laughs> still recovering. So if, if, if we look at King 4, one of the insur- assurance um, pillars that was included was fraud examination and with good reason you might a reference to it if you look at fraud it's on every day front page headline news someone is defrauding somehow um, a government entity or in the private sector someone is involved in fraud and we're talking about millions and billions of friends that uh, that goes missing. So as an assurance partner, um, companies now are expected to have fraud examiners in there. It's actually described in the King 4 as well, although it's well, not… That, uh, that, that, yes. I, I think that's critical because we hear about governance, we hear about ethics, we hear about these things, but people don't realize that as part of this a mechanism. There is a need for this. And I want to talk more about it. We're going to go to our advertisers quick. But when we return, I want to speak more about the need for organizations to capacitate themselves and stop looking at cost implications, but looking at the, the cost savings on a potential basis. We'll be joining uh, Yaku in a couple of minutes. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. We have an important conversation today with Yaku Diaga relating to the need for the capacitation of fraud investigations in all organizations, not just in the state, not just in the financial sector, but all over. And it's, it's critical that we understand why this need is there. And before we went to break, Yaku brought up a very important point, and that is the fact that Kings 4 actually talks about the capacitation and the need 
for fraud investigators or examiners within the corporate environment. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for us, Yaku? If we look at fraud examination, a lot of people think that fraud examination is only about um, going after uh, the, the money that, that was lost um, and, and finding who was involved. Fraud examination is, is a lot more. It's about fraud prevention, detection, and investigation, which, which states the following. We need to be 80% actually proactive in our approach in making sure that fraud does not, uh, does not take place within the organization. Now, when we look at the whole fraud spectrum, 64% of all fraud takes place internally. And that's not even talking when we talk about uh, technical issues, uh, computers, cell phones, and, and other technical um, being used to do fraud. There it actually increases to 92% of all fraud is then perpetrated with the assistance of, of someone internally or by someone internally. Now, when we look at King 4, it, it clearly stipulates that you need to have the right skilled people on all f- aspects of your, of your organization. When you do your planning, and I'll give you some examples now. When you do your planning of, of your business, when you look at your, your setup of your business, um, and when we look at also um, planning for future, uh, what, what's happening and, and where to um, where to prevent fraud from occurring. And that's even at board level. So if your board is not capacitated so that they understand forensic or fraud, let's use the word fraud, they don't understand fraud, how can they ask the right questions from your audit committees, your social and ethics committees, and your other uh, forums to ensure that the, the, the right things are in place to protect the organization, uh, to, uh, to protect the shareholders, um, if, if it's a private organization listed companies? How do we really look after the interest of the organization if we don't understand the complexities of, of fraud? I've seen that uh, in some cases uh, we received complaints where some of the board members didn't even understand how to read financial statements. Now, if you sit in, on, on those, in those positions, I mean, there's a fiduciary duty on you through the Companies Act. So when we look at fraud examination, um, and, and, and how it's written into your, your King 4, it's quite clear that it's, it was important enough to be recognized as a core function of, of looking after the risks, mitigating your risk of organizations. Now, companies in the past appointed, and we've seen it even in, in internal audit, we've seen companies appoint people um, that, they, that they, first off, just to, to have a tick box being ticked to say that I've got a fraud examiner or I've got an internal auditor doing the job. I've seen massive big organizations, international organizations, having three internal auditors to do all the internal audit and forensics of, of uh, construction companies. And then the question is being asked, why did it go wrong um, when, when they failed to detect um, all these manipulation of, of, um, of tenders um, during 2010, etc. So if we, if we look at capacitating your organization, you made a, a valid point or you, when you said that we're going to talk about it, I want to talk about that quickly now. A lot of people also and companies go out with the perception it costs too much to employ a, a specialist. I want to disagree on that. Yes, you need to pay their membership fees. Sorry. And you need to pay 
them to get their skills development done annually. Remember, a, a professional need to maintain his, his CPE or continuous professional development of education 20 hours a year to make sure that they're up to date with the latest um, and, and understand what is uh, happening internationally. Now, if you appoint someone just to have a tick box being tick, you don't have a, a specialist able to do what is expected. And you might uh, later on uh, have, a, have a department of 20, 30 people, non-specialists, doing the same job two or three CFEs or experts could have done in that same position at a much quicker time, knowing what to look for, how to implement uh, strategies, um, as uh, policies, as well as systems, uh, what systems to put in place to prevent fraud from occurring. The average organization loses 5% of its, of, of its annual turnover due to fraud. Now, for a one-man show that uh, tries to to run from a, a, a cafe um, or, or, or small shops, that's fine. I mean, 5% might be then if you only sell a thousand, uh, thousand cold drinks a, a month, that's nothing. But if we look at big organizations, that's millions and millions of rands going missing due to fraud. If you don't have experts that help you to prevent and, and forecast and, and have the necessary in place, you quite easily can lose millions and millions of rands, which is not even close to what the salaries of an expert would have been if you have appointed a, a specialist in that case. So, Yaku, the question that our yeah. listeners have, and, and it's a very valid question, is why does there seem to be such a delay when a fraud becomes known to when there is either a court case or a conviction? Because in the current situation that we see in South Africa – we know about a lot of frauds that have taken place. A lot of them are historical and are only now coming um, to, to the point where they're being enrolled. And I think there's a disconnect with regards to what the public understand and the problems that face the investigation process. So if you could touch on what's happening at the moment and most importantly explain to our listeners why is it that they're seeing such a protracted process in bringing these frauds to justice? When we look at, at the investigation process, one needs to understand that there is a specific flow that needs to follow. You cannot jump um, over hoops or, or cut corners um, in order just to, to get a case into court. As soon as you do that, then you actually cripple your own case in making sure it's a, it's a success, successful case. Now, the, another statistic that I can uh, say here is about 5% of all cases that goes to court is successfully trialed. And the reason for that is it's ill-prepared. We sit with a, with a system of a lot of people that don't understand fraud that needs to prosecute them. <clears throat> we sit with a, a court system currently that, um, that needs to run virtual um, because of uh, COVID. Um, we sit with... Um, uh, police stations that gets closed uh, due to COVID quite often. Um, and we need to deal with all of this when we do our investigations. But let's start from the beginning with your question. When we get a case that's being, uh, that's, that's, that's being referred for, not we, I mean, when members get a case that's referred um, 
internally, whether they work for a big bank or insurance company or within the government department, and it needs to be investigated. It's an allegation, and we need to understand that it remains an allegation till you've done a full uh, audit and investigation on the allegations that was made. You cannot just assume that a person is guilty. We sit with a lot of cases that's reported on, on people where it's actually um, done in, in a way of getting rid of, of people. So let's let's look at, at, at ESCOM, for instance. In ESCOM, I know of a, a number of people who was doing investigations on, uh, on senior people. Um, that that was done away with through false allegations in order to, to make sure that they cannot continue with the investigation. If you don't do a proper investigation, you might think you might miss a lot of uh, critical clues in getting to the right people who's actually involved in fraud and that wants to deter you from from seeing the bigger and the correct picture. Once that's done, you need to report the case to a police station. If it's above a certain um, amount, you can then refer it to um, to a specific unit within the police. And if it's a government department, it needs to be referred uh, to an entity like your SIU, um, but also through a, a, a special um uh, memo from from the uh, the presidency's office. So there's there's a lot of complexities that is in play here. If it's a if it's a financial matter, it needs to be reported to the FIC. Uh, it needs to be reported maybe to to SARS. SARS has got their own um, systems in place to do their own investigation. The Auditor General changed their their whole legislation in order to also now be able to go and confiscate um, and, and to, to, to take people on. So there's not only one entity, and I started off in the beginning to say, <coughs> sorry, it's, it's more than one um, entity and party that's involved in any investigation. So you link up with, with, with different role players. So yes, Does it take a long time to, to do this? Yes, I agree. Sometimes, and and I've seen that as well. Sometimes there's a, a there's a lack of really uh, driving it. And there I must say, I take my hat off for the media, media partners like yourselves, uh, like Daily Maverick. I think they're doing a brilliant job. Um, like News Twenty Four investigators, in making sure that it does not fall off, fall away, uh, but. It stays on the radar, and it's actually the, the NPA um, gets pushed in the direction of making or coming to a conclusion, making a decision. And there I must also be, again say that um, you've got other entities like Solidarity then again. If they decide not to prosecute, then you've got the Harry Nelson and these teams then to pick up those cases and say, you know what, we do believe that there's a case and we can take it further. The concern we've got is, and, and you actually raised it, is the fact that we've got so many loopholes that, that's been created for staggering or, or, or making the, the process longer, um, playing out the process. And, and again, Mr. Zuma has, has shown us a, a couple of them. 
how he's been able to go from one court to the other court just to prevent um, a court to to make come to a conclusion that he needs to go to to jail for not not listening to court orders. Um, we we cannot tolerate in our country this any any longer. We need to adopt the same system, same approach as that of of the U.S. The U.S. settles is able to get criminal cases within the within the system quickly, efficiently, and get it out of the system just as quickly and efficiently. We uh, take anything from five years to fifteen years to get a case just into court. That cannot happen. No, it's it's shocking. So, Yaku, you've you've touched on some of the legislation, and South Africa has extensive and applicable legislation to be able to go after fraudsters and those involved in corruption. You've also mentioned a lot of the state agencies that are responsible for the investigation. Before we go to ads, I just want to ask you this question. Is the state making sufficient use of the private sector expertise, and are we still seeing partnerships between the state and the private sector, like we saw with the anti-corruption task team, to help fight this fraud and corruption, or are they reliant on their internal capacity? You will remember, uh, Chad, in the past, we've seen that um, large entities like the SIU um, make use of, of, of the audit firms and as well as your um, specialist investigators um, to help with... Um, with investigation of cases and to do away with the massive caseload that, that they sat with. And it, I believe it was a huge success. We saw a lot of investigations being done, a lot of um, prosecutions and a lot of um, cases being closed as well. Since then, um, I know of one of two of our members that's been involved, contracted to assist, um, in, in not the SIU as such, but uh, some of the other sectors, um, specifically contracted to assist with the with the prosecution side, and I I think this is happening not enough. Um, we sit with all the expertise um, in the private sector. Um, there's there's a lot of people um, that left the police force in the in the past. Um, we have the skilled. As, uh, members that can assist. No, we're not seeing enough people getting involved. Um, I, I think the, the government is missing out on, on, on a big opportunity. Um, and, and there can be cross uh, skill pollination also taking place. Um, if, if they start making use of us, I mean, it's, uh, on both sides, we can listen and, and learn from one another in, in how to better investigate and prepare cases for court purposes. We're going to continue our conversation with Yaku in a couple of minutes and touch on the upcoming um, ACFE SA conference. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to Yaku Diaga about the importance of having the correctly trained, registered and capable investigators that can help with the the scourge of fraud and corruption that our country is seeing the past two decades. Coming up soon is going to be the ACFE SA conference. And something that Yaku mentioned earlier, and it's it's vitally important, is to understand that it doesn't just help that somebody received training 20, 30 years ago in the investigation of fraud. 
We have continuous new legislation coming into play. We have case law that comes into play. And, of course, the modus operandi of fraudsters themselves change over the years, like we've seen an influx in cyber-related crime, crypto and forex-related crime. And it's vitally important that investigators stay up to date, which is why it's a requirement that they have 20 hours of CPD or CPE training each and every year. One of the vital components to keep a person up to date are conferences such as the upcoming ACFE SA conference. Yaku, let's touch on the, the, the conference that's coming up. What are the, 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 the major topics and what are we going to be looking at and what can investigators take away from it? This actually is a, is a, is a nice touch point to, to your previous question um, that you asked just be, before the break. Um, yes, one thing companies need to understand is when they employ people, whether it's internally or whether it is um, through consultants, one of the things that you want to do is you want to surround yourself with people that can actually empower you. Remember, whether you are a manager, whether you are an executive, um, you are, you base your findings on reports, on information that's being provided to you. If you do not, um, if you do not make sure that those around you has got the necessary skills to guide you in the right direction and can be held accountable for their opinions and for what, whatever they stated in a specific report. You yourself uh, can actually take the rap for, for not acting properly um, in the best accordance of, of your organization. So what we do with our conference is we get international speakers, um, locally and international speakers, to come and show our members um, exactly how fraud's being perpetrated, how to prevent fraud from being perpetrated, and also what's happening in other countries. Remember that sometimes we see things um, happening in, in Europe or in Australia or in the U.S., and then only a, a year or two after that, um, it will flow to South Africa. And vice versa. I can tell you from our, uh, from, from our own experience, we've um, seen people, more and more people from other countries that now attends our conference to learn exactly what's happening here in South Africa and Africa um, and where they only experience the same types of frauds later on there. A good example is, um, is the, uh, the chip and pin card um, that we are using now for a long time. And uh, the U.S. have only started with it now recently. So they've learned from our experiences and what's happening here, and, and they are applying it um, and, and putting up the necessary infrastructure in, in the U.S. now to, to cater for, for the different types of frauds we've seen. When we look at the, the conference program, we make sure that it deals with um, the legal side you might mention of, um, so people understand what what what's happening locally and internationally. We deal with the finance side, investigation side, and then also uh, fraud deterrence, um, your risk management as well as your um, ethics side. We'll deal with, um, if, if I can quickly look at a couple of the um, the subjects, uh, the subjects, anything from the, f the fuel theft that we've seen escalating over the last year, year and a half, and now that's become a liquid currency in, in South Africa. Um, I, we've got speakers talking about from Uganda on how to conduct enterprise risk management uh, and maturity assessments. We've got people um, talking on, on anti-bribery and corruption compliance during a pandemic. Um, you, I think you know Stephen Powell very well from Ines. Um, we've got 
people talking about a cryptocurrency and the, and the, what, what we could learn from the, some of the biggest cases um, where the cryptocurrency has been used uh, for money laundering purposes and other frauds um, and then cybersecurity. Uh, we've got a professor, uh, Basi van Solms, um, from UJ, coming to talk about cybersecurity awareness and, and what's the difference between cybersecurity and cybercrime. So people understand that. And um, Poppia is, um, is, 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 is a topic on every company's um, to-do list and, and mind all the time, what can we release, what information can we release and what not. You would know one of the, the questionnaires that we've sent out now recently was also dealing with should we have a code of conduct uh, for fraud examiners or shouldn't we? Um, it's, a, it's a survey that we've sent out to our own members. Now, the legislation makes um, a reference to whether companies can, or not companies, industries and professional bodies um, should have a, um, a code of conduct for their members so they can understand and, and have guidance papers on what information can be released and what not. Maybe we can, um, uh, we'll have some, some more clarification for our members there. We've got... Uh, on how to, to in, mitigate your internal risks, your financial crimes, and what what to focus on for AML purposes. Um, we've we've got speakers even from from um, Canada talking about financial statement frauds and the, and the various other frauds that's now come forward. How executives are involved in in this and then whistleblowing. Um, you you would know that over the last year we've seen a couple of people taking a knock, um, and when I say knock, not only employment-wise, but also um, people being murdered for blowing the with the whistle. Um, we are recognising them during the conference, and we're going to talk about the whistleblow uh, act um, and going beyond the basics. Johan van Lochrenberg uh, is going to talk about uh, some of the key. Issues and, and how whistleblowing affected him, um, and how he's actually stood up and, and what, what he's done, um, about this. A lot of things, um, to take home with, uh, when we look at our conferences and, uh, our conference specific, it's about the who, what, where, when, why, um, how to apply, um, what, what take home value is there for our members? Um, can they go out and make a difference in companies? And then we put the program together and we make sure that uh, they can go and protect you and your organizations out there. So that's the more reason for making sure that you employ specialists who understand the local and international market, the systems that can be used. SAS is, uh, for example, one of those entities that's coming to talk. Um, the, the platinum sponsor is PwC. Um, we've got TransUnion um, also being one of the partners here, um, CPB, um, and, and many more. That's actually going to showcase how systems can help you identify um, fraud uh, and, and mitigate and ensure that you don't pay out when you're not supposed to pay out. Yaku, if our listeners want to find out more, um, how do they find about the upcoming ACFE SA conference? They can go to our website, acfeesa.co.za. There's a conference page there. Uh, the program is there. Uh, they can register there. 
it's open uh, to all. Um, if you're involved in in management, if you're involved in uh, uh, risk management, compliance, ethics, fraud examination, um, you're more than welcome to, to, to come and join. If you are a part of a professional body with whom one of uh, we've got the MOU with, whether it's SIPs uh, as, as procurement officers or the SABPP as HR officers, you get discounted rates. Um, so you're more than welcome to apply. Come and attend our session um, at the discounted rates. Come and learn more and come and protect yourself. Remember, as, an, as, as a person working in an organization, um, I always say first rule is protect yourself. How do you do it? It's by being competent, um, having the necessary knowledge and skills to do what's expected of you. Then you cannot default. Then you can actually stand up and, and, and talk with um, with the ne- necessary government. Very, very true. Yakuta Yaga, CEO of the ACFE SA, thank you so much for joining us today, giving us a heads up on what's happening with regards to fraud and corruption fighting in South Africa and the upcoming ACFE SA conference. Thanks very much, Jed and team. Now I'm going to chat about uh, two issues that are very close to my heart. The one which I talk about every week, is the CHI-FM helpline. The CHI-FM helpline was set up just prior to COVID, and it's really assisted people. It's a toll-free line. It's 0800 And this helpline has helped countless people, um, both from the community, outside of the community, and it's anonymous. It helps people. And what it did during the, the COVID lockdown is it wasn't just an inbound toll-free call center, but it also started making calls to people who were isolated from their families as a result of COVID and checking in. So if you want to give back and you're a qualified social worker or psychologist, well, the Chaifen Helpline is looking for volunteer counsellors. Um, if you want to join the Helpline team, you're qualified in trauma, grief or crisis counselling, please contact the Chaifen Helpline. Email your details to info at chaifem.com and perhaps also make a difference for the community. Another thing of late that has really Upset a lot of South Africans, brought home the reality of the disparity between the haves and the have-nots, and more importantly, identified the the fault lines within South Africa was the recent unrest that we experienced primarily in KZN and then in parts of Gauteng. An organization that's been set up to try assist specifically in the KZN context is an organization called the Rebuild SA Fund. And they want to help South Africa recover from this. And they are involved with a lot of NPCs in respect of capacitating them, helping them to raise funds, and also helping to ensure that the help goes to the right people in the right places. If you want to find out more about the Rebuild SA Fund, you can email, you can email them and find all their details on their website at www.rebuildsafund.com. That website address again is www.rebuildsafund.com. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. There will be a repeat later in the week. And, of course, if you want to hear the show relating to the ACFESA, it will be uploaded as a podcast within the next 24 hours. I'll be back live same time, same place next week. And Once again, thank you so much for letting us into your cars, into your homes, and into your businesses. My name is Chad Thomas. You've been listening to Confidential Brief.